Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, European Rate Strategist, and I'm joined today by our Global Rate Specialists, Giles Gale, Head of European Rate Strategy, Blake Gwynn, Head of US Rate Strategy, and Theo Chapsalis, Head of UK Rate Strategy. Everyone, welcome back to another Bondcast. Um, I think I say this every week, but another busy week. Um, this week, Europe's taken centre stage. We've had um, a dovish ECB meeting, which is its driving markets um, today, which is Thursday. Although I'm sure it won't be when this when you're listening to this. But before we get stuck into the ECB, Blake, perhaps you can just um, update us on your latest thoughts in the US. Yeah, sure. I think um, you know this week has really been, uh, I'd say, about three themes, um, you know, kind of trickling around markets. The first being um, extension of some relief that banks got around the time of the crisis last year from some of the leverage um, leverage ratios and, and, and constraints on their um, on bank leverage that were given back around the time of the COVID outbreak. Those are set to expire at the end of March. So there's been a lot of focus on whether those are going to be extended. Um, you know, there's a there's, there's several regulators involved in this. It's the Fed, the FDIC, uh, OCC, all bank regulators in the in the U.S. Um, they've kind of done this in partnership. But most of the focus this week has been on whether or not the Fed's going to uh, uh, specifically extend it, um, with an assumption I think that the other two agencies largely follow the Fed's lead. I suppose um, the second big theme this week uh, has been supply. Um, we have tens and thirties um, this week. We also had threes, much less of a focus um, given that. It's really about the long end and whether or not uh, demand for the long end can keep up with just the steady drumbeat of supply um, that we've had over the last year and is going to continue for the next year. Um, I think yesterday's 10-year, you know, we're still waiting at the time of this recording on on the 30-year results, but yesterday's 10-year auction uh, was a bit Goldilocks. It didn't really give that sign one way or the other. I think people were coming into it thinking, okay, we either get a disaster of an auction, much like the seven-year um, that we had several weeks ago that's going to give us a clear sign that, um, you know, kind of clear the path for another leg, uh, another leg higher in, in the sell-off, or it's going to be a very strong auction um, and kind of validate a little bit of the uh, stabilization that we've seen uh, over the last week. We have kind of traded relatively uh, within a range over the last four or five sessions. So I think if we would have had a really strong auction, it would have kind of justified that and told the market, hey, we're, we're seeing some, some signs of stabilization here. Maybe we're in for uh, a more range bound trading rather than the steady March higher in yields that we've seen for the last few months. I don't think it really gave a signal one way or the other. It was a little bit below expectations. Or, um, I shouldn't say expectations. It was uh, um, a little bit below uh, uh, what you would accept for, expect for a strong auction. Um, the dealer takedown was a little high, which means that the buy side didn't have a lot of demand for it. Um, it did it did have a decent tail, which is uh, just means um, you know we didn't quite see as strong a demand at the auction as as people were expecting. Um, but it wasn't terrible. It, it was it was bad, but I think given a lot of the circumstances around it and the really bad, you know, the, the expectations for a really bad auction, uh, it didn't really deliver on that. So I think everybody's kind of turned to the third year supply for maybe that signal they were hoping for. Last is, is just talk about next week's Fed meeting. Um, you know, I think most of that centers around how they're going to uh, respond to financial conditions. I think we're going to come back to that a little bit later. Um, also, this SLR decision, I don't think it necessarily has to happen at a Fed meeting. Um, but I think just with the Fed meeting on tap next week, a lot of people are, are wondering if they're going to say something about uh, uh, this SLR exemption at the meeting. Um, third is the dots. Um, you know, I think there's 
we were very close to seeing uh, the median increase for the 2023 dot to show to start showing a hike in 2023. And, um, you know, if, if we see some members kind of acknowledge the, the improvement in the economic outlook and those dots actually start to move up, we get the median starting to show a hike. I think that would be taken as a relatively hawkish signal by the market. So, so that is also something that I think is very much in focus. Lastly, I would just say this IOER um, uh, um, overnight RP, the, the Fed's main policy tools for controlling rates at the very front end of the curve. Um, there'd been some speculation that they might increase those. A lot of that has died down. Uh, front end rates really didn't uh, uh, fall as much as people had been expecting. So I think that's kind of come off the table. And um, you know, the, the focus on them doing something about that at this meeting has really tapered off. So that's kind of what we're talking about this week in the US. Thanks, Mike. Sounds like it's a, a busy week there too. Um, so over to you there in the UK, I know there's also a Bank of England meeting there next week. Um, we get the, uh, if I'm not wrong, the supply calendar um, this week as well. Um, we're recording this just before it comes out and then I think it'll be published afterwards. So just to caveat with that, but, um, and I also think last week, we haven't spoken since you officially updated your um, call on 10-year gilts to 1%. So perhaps you could just give us your latest views in the UK with everything that's going on. Sure. Thanks so much, Jen. So first of all, we start with the fundamentals for UK rates and the bearish narrative uh, remains intact. When we go and look at the reasons that drove the sell-off, well, they are still here. We talk about a market where issuance and actually the magnitude of net, of, of net supply will be higher than what it was before, uh, even though the outright number of gross supply is lower, the net number will be higher. We talk about a market where inflation will be on the rise. We talk about a market where we had a sell-off at the Bank of England. They have been um, not troubled. They didn't have any objections with regards to the sell-off. At the same time, as you've mentioned, we, we, we are having tomorrow morning the, the issuance calendar, and then next week we have the BOE meeting. It's the, the, the main theme of that meeting will be the timing of the tapering of asset purchases. So there are two major options. Uh, we think that there are significant chances that a reduction in the pace is announced at the March meeting. Uh, the majority of investors think that uh, that reduction in, uh, in the pace will happen at the May meeting. Depending on how this is communicated, we talk about a potential seller for the market, uh, especially if it does not come with some short or verbal support from the Bank of England to, to cap any disorderly rise in financial conditions. So looking forward to the meeting, we do expect tactical players to be show the market. And as you've mentioned, indeed, we have moved our target to 1%. And we think that this is probably, you know, a level where the fundamentals and that additional supply will find quality investors. Great, thanks, Theo. So Giles, over to Europe then. Um, the key uh, event this week has, has been uh, Thursday's ECB meeting. Um, we were expecting 
um, kind of repeat of recent rhetoric that we've heard that they will lean against um, rise in real rates. Um, actually, what we got was a more explicit commitment to that um, in terms of ramping up purchases over um, the next few weeks or, or the next quarter even. Um, what are your kind of key takeaways from, from today's meeting? Well, first of all, I'm kind of annoyed with them, I have to admit. Um, you know, I think, you know, it wasn't entirely a surprise. And obviously, it was a very, very closely watched meeting for exactly the reason that became obvious with the announcement, right? Um, you know, we were looking for this kind of thing. But as you say, it was a little bit of a surprise. You know, I think we've learned something about the way that they do things, which is a little bit different. I mean, I think we we had in mind that they were flexible in their purchases, and you know, and that probably you know, should. I guess most people probably like us had in mind that that meant that they could vary their purchases week to week, and the fact that they hadn't done so over the last few weeks. That just suggested that perhaps they were willing to just kind of stand back and let the market sort of find uh, find a level. But it turns out actually what they were doing is that they just wanted to have a proper opportunity to to really discuss it in the context of their quarterly forecasting round and so on and so on. Um, so you know, overall, it's a surprise. But as I say, no, not I don't think to any observer really a a, a massive surprise. But it does change our outlook on on markets. I mean, we have been bearish for for quite a while, uh, you know, for all of the reasons that we've been repeating on this bondcast again and again, and you know, for reasons which, frankly, in my opinion, continue to apply. Um, at least in other jurisdictions. But when you have a central bank that wants to, re to, to lean against the market move, I think it's a very difficult thing to, to, to take them on, to be honest with you. And you know, we've been debating a little bit since the meeting amongst ourselves, you know, exactly what is this, you know, what does significant actually mean when it comes to purchases? Now, how much are they actually going to increase their weekly or their monthly flows or however you, is it you look at this? And... Yeah, I mean, I mean, I I'll give you a number. You know, we you know base case think it probably means around twenty billion. I mean, that was a something that came up in the, the press conference, and obviously, Christine Lagarde ducked that that one. I mean, there's no real chance that she was likely to be uh, cornered by a question like that. You know, it could be more, could be less. I, I you know I don't think it really matters that much. I mean, in the short term, if it were just that, you would say, yeah, no, you can always find an extra twenty billion of sellers. But the point is, you know, that this is something that's going to be ongoing, and you know, we have been, you know, we've learned something here about the um, the ECB's strategy overall. I mean, I know I was going to say reaction function, but I suppose it's sort of a you know, broader, broader strategy about how it wants to deal with markets. And, you know, one of the first questions in the conference was spot on. You know, is this some, you know, a form of yield curve control? And of course, you know, the answer, the official answer is no, but, you know, it, it's, a, it's clearly a form of yield curve control. I mean, they're trying to dampen volatility and um, they I mean, while back in January, they they told us, and at the time it was a, it was it was a bit of a bearish signal. Um, they, they told us that they weren't going to squeeze the market by blindly seeing through a sort of quota for their PEP purchases. 
And now they tell us, okay, flexibility is two-way. We'll also increase uh, in order to, to contain yield levels. And so, you know, where are we left? We're probably looking for slightly higher bonds in the short term, to be quite honest. That makes sense. What about periphery as well? You know, uh, BTPs have tightened sort of six basis points now on since the well on the day since since the meeting. Um, what's your take there? Is that is that right? Should they be tightening more? I mean, it's clearly an unambiguous positive for for periphery. I mean, the lower yield levels are are good for periphery, and it's both good for debt sustainability. It's good for investor sort of you know, yield reach that kind of activity and it's um yeah I, I i suppose just the force of flows as well you know the the additional ecb buying which will be directed towards uh, periphery will will also be supportive there um, i would expect this will continue makes sense thanks Dar. so i guess the the question really now looking at this from on a global perspective you know we've had a dovish ecb um who are being much more or who, who had already been more aggressive than other central banks but who now clearly have been explicitly more aggressive than than certainly the fed and the bank of england um in the action that they're going to take to kind of fight these uh, rising real rates, at least. Um, so, you know, looking ahead to the meetings that we have next week, we have a Fed meeting and a Bank of England meeting. Does today's more dovish ECB change what we're thinking about the reaction function of, of the Fed and the Bank of England next week? Theo, don't, do you want to start there and then we'll move to Blake? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's, it's interesting because also the UK is, uh, we've left the European Union, but we're still close to Europe. And to a large extent, uh, investors trade guilds versus bonds, and they look at the market, they look at the two, and they draw their conclusions. So I think that the BOE uh, in this regard is in a totally different place than the ECB. The BOE hasn't opposed the move up in yields the BOE will have to consider when to slow down the amount of purchases. So when we look at the numbers and when we look at the, the data in the UK, they look fairly strong. So we have members that actually are concerned of upside inflation risks, not downside inflation risks. Andy Haldane has mentioned that this is a tiger that we have unleashed and we need to be careful how to deal with a tiger of inflation. So. Clearly, there are concerns of higher inflation in the UK. We expect, because of that, a different stance. We expect to hear about a normalization of the level of yields. We expect to hear about a rebalancing of flows out of fixed income into other assets. So we expect to hear very, very different BOE to the, what it has been the case from the ECB. For me, one key part and one key factor that makes the UK so different from the Euro area, but also from the US, is our ability to meet the inflation target. And when I compare the UK to other jurisdictions, the UK did not really have ever a serious downside inflation problem. And you have the Euro area, obviously, and the US that, well, they speak for themselves. They've got a different case. <laughs> um, so that's the case for the UK. 
Yeah, it's certainly a different case here in Europe. Uh, Blake, what about in the US? What Do you think this changes Powell's reaction function next week or, or is his message still still the same, do you think? Well, I think we already got the change. Um, you know, we, we had um, comments from Powell and Brainerd and a few others in kind of the week before they went into the, the blackout. And we saw a very subtle shift in the way they're talking about uh, uh, financial conditions and kind of the rise in yields. Very, very subtle. I mean, it, it, it was not a big step. Um, but I think they've kind of chosen that language. And that language, in my mind, is probably going to be the one, um, you know, the lines that are repeated uh, around, you know, either the statement or, or in the press conference this week. Um, and, and that was really this focus on kind of two things. One was, and, and I separate these out, um, one is kind of the market functioning aspect. So we have these kind of, you know, uh, uh, potential liquidity issues, disorderly kind of trading conditions. That's one thing they're worried about. You heard both Brainerd and Powell kind of talk about the speed of the moves and, and concerns if there were quote unquote disorderly conditions in markets. Then there's kind of a second aspect of it, which um, is a what they called a persistent tightening in financial conditions that they would be worried about. Um, you know, that that really speaks more, you know, not so much about market functioning, but really more towards the dual mandate, growth outlook, et cetera. Um, you know, would, would probably be something they would respond to with a more uh, kind of durable change to, to the you know, to the asset purchase program. That's not something I think um, they're, you know, even close to considering. I think, um, you know, they probably repeat that language about persistent tightening. And I think, you know, I wrote this in one of our pieces last week, but I think persistent tightening in financial conditions becomes the new uh, uh, substantial improvement um, language where everybody kind of wants a, a, a metric or they want the Fed to kind of commit to some, you know, yield level or, or, or something that they're looking at um, you know, that we can measure, uh, you know, and see how close we are. But um, I, I just don't think they're going to give that. And I, and I think all they're going to say about it is that we're still far away from that point. And I don't really think they take any steps other than to acknowledge that, um, you know, to really push back against the rising yields. They maintain that this has all been for, you know, for good reasons. It's improvement in, um, you, you know, the improvement in the outlook around vaccinations, around, um, you know, how much scarring we saw from the last out, you know, the last surge in, in December, um, uh, uh, the fiscal outlook, all these things ha have been really driving the increase in yields in their mind. Um, and I think a lot of times markets, you know, we tend to look at intraday charts, weekly charts, and everybody got kind of real panicked in the last few weeks because we, you know, have a couple sessions of real yields going up. We see, you know, very kind of short-term tightening in financial conditions and, and really start to panic. And I think the Fed really is looking at months long, if not quarters or years long, charts and saying, hey, look, we're, we're still very, very accommodative. There's really no reason at this point uh, that we need to, to get involved and, and, and to take a stronger hand against, um, you know, against rising yields. Okay, so Giles, with, well, three, but I guess the ECB, if we think of the ECB as one and, and the Fed and the BOE as other, with two quite opposing central bank strategies and that really being I guess this central bank reaction function has been the kind of theme of markets over the past few weeks and, and us saying in Europe we don't want to fight the ECB and, and that kind of shifting our, our near-term view for bonds. Where does that leave us, um, I guess, on a cross-market basis for Europe versus the UK and the US? I, th I think that the obvious answer here is probably the right one that uh, we're looking for some outperformance of, uh, of European fixed income in the in the short term. Now, I suppose that this kind of growth and vaccinations of progress differential seems to be a theme that markets want to go with. Um, I personally have issues with it, and I think that um, you know, actually. 
actually when it comes to opening up we won't see all that much difference in in terms of timeline but it doesn't seem that um, the, the the belief is necessarily growing particularly quickly um in markets um so maybe just one to monitor but where i do think that there's a clear clear difference is obviously on the fiscal side and um, so that's something that you can you can definitely play and i think that you know once you've got the central banks going in the same direction here. So you know, the ECB going, no, we're going to resist this because we think that um, you know, rising rates are you know, like, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's about sympathy with global rates and so on. It's not really European fundamentals. It's something we're going to push back on, but you don't have that in, in other areas. I think it's a very difficult theme to oppose. Um, you know, so I guess that's the way I'm thinking about it short term. Longer term though, I mean, I, I do think that there's still going, you know, a, a catch up story to to happen and obviously we'll be monitoring closely to try and figure out you know, how to time that so you know listen to future bondcasts for our views about how that's um, how that one's developing and uh, you know as before i can think of lots and lots of reasons which go well beyond you know a single piece of um you know, I guess information about the um, the the ECB strategy for for rates to to move higher. So um, you know, <clears throat> so I guess that that sums it up really. Nice, thank you. Well, seems like a nice note to leave it on there. Um, lots to watch next week. I'm sure we'll be back discussing the Bank of England and the Fed and and anything else that that happens between now and then. So um, thank you all for joining me again today, and we'll catch up next week. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Bondcast. Please do subscribe to our channel to get future episodes and like it as this will help others to find it. We also encourage you to follow us on social media to get all our latest content. Speak to you again soon.